Hello, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel, a podcast where we shatter the glass ceiling for women in law. I'm your host, Stephanie Watchman, and I've been coaching and training women attorneys all over the world for nearly a decade. Women lawyers, no matter where they are in their careers, face many challenges, frustrations, and some fantastic opportunities. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts to cover many of the issues I get asked about, like managing stress, career growth, law firm leadership, self-confidence, business development, and even planning for retirement. My goal is to provide you with the tools and tips you need for your own professional growth. And now, let's get on with the show. Whenever I'm running women's leadership programs, I'm always asked about negotiation and how how we can be better negotiators and more confident negotiators. And to be quite honest with you, I stink at it. And I'm not like the worst, but I'm certainly not the best. And I definitely don't have all the tools I need. So I was really happy to be able to invite my friend and colleague, Eric Reifenberg in, who has a company that trains executives and sales teams all over the world on negotiation skills. And so this podcast is really going to go in depth in terms of how to be a better negotiator. And I learned a lot. I'm going to apply it. I'll let you know how it goes, but I think I'm on the right track now. Before I get into the podcast, let me introduce you to Eric properly. So for more than 15 years, Eric led negotiations from the front line with some of the world's largest technology companies. He and his sales teams closed hundreds of millions of dollars worth of deals using the same structured preparation process that he teaches today. He has two MBA diplomas in international business from both the University of South Carolina and the Vienna University of Economics and Business. After he finished graduate school, he spent several years living and working in Europe for Emerson Network Power, and he learned a second language, traveled extensively, and collaborated with major players in the telecom infrastructure market. And one of the other things I wanted to share about Eric is that because he comes from the world of business, I thought it would be interesting to hear his perspective on negotiation, seeing as so many lawyers are all working in the world of business as well. So I thought it would be a fresh perspective. Today, Eric is going to share a lot of his knowledge with us on negotiation, and he's done this all over the world where he offers training from his company called The Negotiation Experience. Welcome to the show, Eric. Eric, I'm so happy to have you on the show. As I mentioned in my little bio of you, I've known you for a really long time, and one of the things I was most interested about is really understanding this whole idea of negotiation and how to best be the best kind of negotiator you can be. And I'm just curious before we get into the whole what to do around negotiation is to find out like why did you decide on this as your career? Yeah, you know, short and simple, it made the largest impact on my life. Uh, early in my sales career, I was working for Emerson Electric and they put us through a pretty extensive negotiation training course. And the results the team got after that training were fantastic. And throughout my career, so I had 15 years of being in sales, either as an individual contributor, a manager, or a VP of global sales, you know, carrying that process that I learned about how to negotiate really changed my life in terms of being able to not only negotiate better deals for my employers, but, you know, really being able to negotiate better for myself. I think that's like such an important point that you're making because when we're looking, especially like for for lawyers, they're negotiating for themselves or negotiating on behalf of their clients. If they're working as a general counsel, they're working on behalf of 
the, you know, the company that they're working for. Like there's all kinds of negotiations happening all the time. And I often think that many of us don't really get properly trained in how to be a good negotiator. I know that having come from the world of sales, I, it was just hit and miss. Like I had no idea of what the formula was to do it, to do it effectively. And my nerves often got in the way, especially when I was doing like high stakes negotiations. I'm just curious to know, like, how do how do nerves play out and, and, and anxiety play out in, in negotiation? Like, how do you get out of your own way? Yeah, Stephanie, I think you really hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, most of us are learning from the school of hard knocks. Uh, no, there's no, uh, there's very little negotiation training going on, especially at the high school or college level. It's something we do as really professional courses, if you will, and not many people go through it, but you know, being properly trained and giving yourself a process that allows you to prepare properly. Preparation is everything, all the values created during the preparation phase. And if you know how to prepare well, you're gonna be a lot more relaxed and when you're relaxed, you're going to be more confident. That's going to show and you're going to get much better results. So I'd say just by being having a process to, that allows you to be better prepared is going to go a long way towards addressing those nerves, that anxiety you're talking about. I think that's a really good point. But here's my big my big but. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you have to like? What do you have to do to prepare? Like, what does that mean? Who sure. Has the upper hand. How, how do you know what to what to prepare for a negotiation? Yeah, so you know, I've got a, a four-part process that I put my clients through. And remember, we're doing B2B negotiations, uh, not necessarily legal negotiations, but I think there's some concepts that apply. You know, first we're starting out with this situational assessment. Like what is the negotiation situation? Are we going to be in a highly competitive or a highly collaborative negotiation? And that's going to make a big difference in how you think through your preparation. We're also going to figure out like, what do we want to achieve? What are our objectives? So us personally, but you know, the way we approach it, my class is usually the firm. So quantitatively, qualitatively, and relationship-wise, what do we want the outcome to be of this negotiation? And then lastly, you need to understand yourself. What is your natural negotiation style? Ah, that's interesting. Like, are you competitive? Are you collaborative? Are you someone who just detests negotiation? You'd rather do anything but it so you avoid? <laughs> are you an accommodator? Are you someone who immediately gives the other party what they want just because you want them to like you? Or are you a compromiser? And by compromising, I mean, are you the type of person that says, hey, let's just go ahead and meet in the middle, make this easy and be done with this negotiations. So okay. what's your style? Okay, so how do you know, like, how would you know what's your, what your style is? Is there, aside from the fact that there's probably assessments out there, like how yeah. intuitively could you know your own style? Yeah, I mean, I think an assessment's a great way to go and they're not expensive. So Thomas Kilman Index, which is yeah. the TAI, is a great one. And I you know, encourage anybody who does negotiations for a living to take that assessment. I think it's like $25. You should do it. But, you know, really you could ask people around you. So we just define five styles. You either avoid, you accommodate, you compromise, you collaborate, or you're competitive. Ask your colleagues. What's your style, Eric? I'm curious. My natural style is not the best for negotiation, but it is... Wait, wait, don't tell me. Yes. No. No, okay. No, I'm not naturally over-competitive. I'm actually more of an accommodator. I tend to give people things 
that they want because I want them to like me. And I was like that as a child. I would give away my toys <laughs> to my friends, drive my parents crazy because I wanted them to like me. So the key and what the point I want to make here is I'm aware of it. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm very careful about doing that in B2B negotiations because it's not a good style. Do you ever find that, I mean, that's a classic people pleaser. And I think I fall into that category where like I already sell myself short before I go into the negotiation whereby I'm giving away things that I really shouldn't or don't need to just right. yet. Yeah. And so that's another part of the situational assessment, which is understanding what is your unshakable value proposition? What do you bring into the table? So if you think about your your audience, these attorneys, like what are you bringing to the table and what value or what value does your client have? And you got to get clear about that because if you're not clear about that, you're not going to have a solid foundation to negotiate from and you're going to tend to give things away or make concessions early. When you talk about value, what do you mean by that? Can you, can you dive into that a bit more? Yeah, I mean, we're all one of one. We all have something unique we bring to the table. So it's a lot of, and this is like the underlying foundation of your confidence. So I typically couch this in terms of what is your company's value proposition? What do you bring to either to your suppliers or to your customers where you know you don't have to give things away because there's value in it? But you can also translate that to individuals. Hey, it's Stephanie Watchman. I want to take a quick break to tell you about a limited time discount on my online course for women in law. This is my signature program for women lawyers, and I've been offering it in-house for over 11 years with amazing success. This program was created to teach women attorneys how to compete at the highest level in their firms and grow their book of business to the high six figures. The women who have gone through this course have learned amazing leadership skills. They've learned how to do business development. They know how to have better self-confidence, presence, communication skills. It's just an amazing program and incredibly comprehensive. So for a very limited time, you can cash in on early bird pricing by going to www.emergingwomenleadersinlaw.com forward slash early bird. Again, that's www.emergingwomenleadersinlaw.com forward slash early bird. And there'll also be information in the podcast notes. I can't wait to have you in the program. Right, like I think when you're, when you talk about value and, and what, what you bring to the table, for lawyers especially, it's, you know, they're, they're selling a firm, yes, and they're selling their own service, their own ability, their own skill, and it's about not undervaluing yourself. And I see this happening across the board, especially with women attorneys where they, you know, they undervalue their own services. Well, I'm not really worth you know, $500 an hour or you know, right. $600 or at that. I mean, some yes, but some... Some know they undervalue themselves right off right off the bat, and uh, knowing your own value and appreciating it, and not and being able to negotiate on it, but not because you're from like you're saying a, a position of being a pleaser, but because it's the right thing to do to get the business, and this is you know you're you're making the choice not because you need to, but because you you want to. You know what you're doing. You're not you're not being undermined by your own natural sense of I want you to like me. <laughs> right. Well. I want your audience to think about this. They are who they tell people they are. So if you tell people I'm not worth it, if you tell people that I don't deserve this, guess what? You're not going to get it. People will believe what you tell them. 
So be confident. Lead with your strengths. Don't focus on your weaknesses. You have the opportunity to define yourself. Yeah. So negotiation has a lot to do with having having yourself like having self-confidence, having taking the time to prepare for whatever it is you're negotiating, knowing your values, and knowing what you want uh, the outcome to be. So what we're talking about here is really that, like I said before, that situational assessment, the next step in that process, the second step for your audience is to start gathering information. And this is to understand what your counterpart really wants and why they want it. And there's a lot of ways to go about that. And you have to also understand that you as an individual may not be able to get this information. You might need to rely on coworkers, partners, colleagues, maybe people who aren't on the radar of your counterpart who can ask questions to get answers. In the corporate world, you know, we have this traditional game between sales and procurement. Well, guess what? There's a lot of different parts of the organization. For example, in a, a buyer side, there's a lot of people touching the seller side who aren't necessarily in procurement and they can ask questions and get information. And it's the same with your clients. There's other people in the firm who are potentially talking to other parties and can get information. So don't rely on yourself to be the only one. So step two, gather information. Find out what the hidden interests are, what people really want, because that's where you get your leverage. The next part is developing a game plan. So this is what people are more familiar with in negotiations, which is determine what your anchoring position is going to be. Where are you going to start? Are you going to do this confidently? And are you going to do it justifiably? Because you can't ask for something as ridiculous, right? We also want you to develop that walk away. So we talked about maintaining your confidence uh, or not letting your nerves run away with you. Once you create that walk away position, now you know where you need to stop negotiating, right? Where you need to have a circuit breaker and take a timeout and walk away from the negotiation. Not necessarily close the door, we're done forever, but we need to stop for now. So that's gonna prevent you from making a bad deal. And then lastly, is understanding what your underlying power is, and that's your best alternative to reaching an agreement. In other words, if we don't reach agreement in this negotiation, what will I do? And if I have a strong backup plan or your, your counterpart has a strong backup plan, they're going to have more power. Whoever has the stronger backup plan to reaching an agreement is going to have more underlying power. What kind of backup plan are you thinking about? Is this like a plan B? If, if they don't go for this number, then I'll have this other number in my back pocket and I'll be okay with that? Is that what you mean by backup plan? Yeah, I'll give you a B2B example and you can make an example for the audience in, in terms of their roles in the, the law firm. Um, but, you know, let's say you're, you're, you're a procurement person, you're, you know, you're looking for some new technology to be designed into one of your products, and maybe you find two sources. So now we've got, or maybe you find three sources, because I want to have at least two in case one of them, you know, has a fire in the factory or something like that. So you've developed a strong alternative to reaching an agreement by cultivating three sources who can do the same thing. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's probably a lot different for in, in the legal world because when you're doing a negotiation, you could be negotiating for custody for children. You, could right. be, you, know, you can be negotiating also for 
better contracts with your vendors if you're as a general counsel and you have to negotiate those kinds of contracts. So you, it's actually not beyond the realm of possibility to have to have multiple vendors that can do the same thing and to sure. be, negotiate these contracts as well. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because you bring a different perspective to negotiation coming from the business world. And I think it's really applicable for many lawyers to understand how it works within the business world because for lawyers, you're focusing on one area of practice, of, of you know contracts and agreements, and not always in terms of other sources, other vendors, like to really understand business is very, very helpful. Um, one of the things that I also wanted to talk to you about was about this whole um, idea of taking, like take, we take the emotions out of it by having more confidence. But if you're not really feeling that confident, Mm-hmm. feeling like I'm not at the beginning of the negotiation because at the beginning of the negotiation, you're prepared, right? You like, you did what you said you had to do and you're, you know, in the right headspace. You did a meditation in the car before you went in, <laughs> before yeah. you went in. Right. Now you're sitting down and the person who you're negotiating with is either getting, I mean, this has happened to me so many times, like they're getting more aggressive, they're right. getting louder, right? Like I, if you, <laughs> I'm going to get louder and now you're going to have to do something or they get quieter or um, they start throwing numbers to confuse. How do you handle all that? Yeah. You know, that that's, you know, I've kind of discussed that earlier in this game plan section where you're, you know, you're determining what your walkway is at what point will you stop negotiating? Okay. It doesn't matter how much someone yells at you. There's some point that you're going to have to stop and walk away, at least for the, uh, meeting room. Maybe you have to go to the bathroom. Maybe you don't really have to go to the bathroom, but you have to go to the bathroom. If you know what I mean. <laughs> and this can give you some breathing room. Uh, maybe you, you know, you want to have an absentee negotiator. So like, I am not authorized to make a decision beyond this level. So we are going to have to come back together because I need to go check with management, with the board, with my client. And then lastly, you know, if you've cultivated a best alternative, and I think you made a, you know, one of the things you said was about like family um, disputes. That's really hard. You don't have a backup plan to your family if you're looking for custody, for example. So it doesn't work. But in a commercial type of negotiation, certainly does. And I think I was advising a client who was selling their business recently, and they were convincing themselves that they had to pay this huge multiplier for this business. And I was like, you know, what's their alternative? Who else could they sell to that wants them as much as you? Be realistic about that. And we did a little exercise where we determined, you know, who could possibly buy them and what value it would be. And they realized that they were the best game in town for this company they were looking to acquire. And they realized they didn't need to offer them so much, but they had talked themselves into this. Right. You know, they had just convinced themselves that they needed to spend top dollar and do it as quickly as possible. Do you think, Eric, like in your when you're doing training, that role playing and practicing before any negotiation is a good idea? Practicing on the practice field and not on game day is key. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere here. I'm understanding. <laughs> That's where I've had so many mistakes where I've just, you know, walked in cold. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I've had my butt kicked so many times by walking in cold, but yeah, the extent to which you can 
practice, but you know that it's not just practice, it's the preparation. I think everybody uh, you know, that's listening to this can remember a time maybe in school where you had a test and you really, really studied for like a month for it. I remember when I was in college, I had this physics exam and I went to the library every day for an hour practicing physics problems. And by the time I got to the test, it was like nothing. It was so easy because I put in the time, I did the reps and it's the same, you know, it's not the plan. It's the preparation that you go through to make the plan that makes you strong. So in terms of like practicing, what kind of practicing, I know it's like we're talking preparation, but do you advise um, your clients to like role play to pretend that you're an adversarial negotiator? Like how do you, how do you help them know what to right. do as part of the preparation? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's, better facilitated by someone else. It's difficult for you to sit down with your colleague and start role-playing. Right. Um, so I write role-plays for my customers after spending weeks with them on the phone, understanding their business, or even going to their office before we do training and sitting with them for a day. And we so we create a customized role-play that matches their situation. But, um, you know, kind of, you know, what can like an attorney do? You should be preparing as a team because you have blind spots. Like we were just saying that, uh, you know, you think you're a people pleaser. So do I. Like when I prepare, I want someone maybe who's a little more competitive or maybe someone who's a little more collaborative on my team working with me who can fill in those blind spots and think about approaching the negotiation in a way that I'm not capable of. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. And I do hear this quite often from most of my women attorneys especially, that if they're going up against opposing counsel and opposing counsel, you know, maybe they're a younger female attorney and opposing counsel is an, you know, an older man who's been at this for a long time, he can become, be more aggressive in his approach to the negotiation. Right. And as a pleaser, if you are a pleaser, you might back down from that just because that's, that's your role you've always played, like you said, from as a child, right? So you've already identified as a pleaser since you were a child, and it's it's about redirecting yourself and, and saying, no, I'm not going pleaser road. I'm not going down the pleaser road. I'm going to do some, something else. But I think what you're also saying, and this uh, Thomas Kilman assessment I'm going to put on the, in the show notes, is that you have a choice of how you want to address the negotiation. You can go at it from, a, do I want to compete in this in this negotiation? Do I want to be an avoider? Like, how do I want to address this negotiation? Yeah. There's multiple styles, even if you naturally um, gravitate towards one is what you're saying also, right? Yeah, Stephanie, I get this question about the, the kind of bully on the other side all the time in my classes. Okay, I want to hear more. Yeah. So one thing I want to just really make clear, if you're dealing with someone who's really aggressive, someone who's a bully, and you go head on with them, what is that going to be like? Are they going to get less aggressive? Mm. no you're probably better off letting them feel like they're in control because they're going to take that victory lap in their head and when they're doing that they're not paying attention and they're potentially giving things away so if you're dealing with someone who's really aggressive a real bully kind of like you couched in your description I think it's best to let them feel like they're in control and let them continue to share and give you information that you could potentially use as leverage because if you go head to head with them, you know, these people feed on this kind of thing. They're experts at being bullies. 
Especially if you're dealing with litigators, everybody who's listening, you know, you know who you are and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I, I've had so many instances in my career where people just, you know, I was in sales procurement, people get really aggressive with you for like lower price, better terms or whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of times I've engaged them, which was a huge learning experience and mistake. And then other times, I, you know, let them let them have their way. Let them win. Let them think they're winning, at least. Right. Right. I think that's a really good tip, especially about letting them letting them take that victory lap in their head. And you're at that same time staying cool headed and you're like watching and observing the, the whole the whole show and taking notes and using it in your in your favor, really. Because nothing's agreed to until everything's agreed to. So as soon as someone starts, if you know, if you can uh, temporarily or you can conditionally agree to one negotiable, allowing them to have that victory lap, you know, once you get to that next negotiable, you can always pull things back. Right. So that, I think that's really key to remember that nothing's agreed to until everything's agreed to. So do you have any tips also for like my my big problem, which is I give everything away before I start the engagement, like I'm already negotiating against myself. So let's just say I'm presenting a, a program and I'm like, well, really, this the value of this program is twenty five thousand dollars, but they're probably not going to want to pay that much. Maybe I should drop it down to eighteen thousand. Right. Yeah. The, well, but if I give it 18000 maybe I should throw in all my books. Like, I'm already, like, negotiating against <laughs> myself before I even step into the room. Do, what, yeah. what advice do you have around that? Well, it sounds like you're making a decision before you have any information about the customer. Like, you don't understand their challenges or business. I'm going to just put it in business terms. You don't, if you don't understand their business problem, why would you start giving things away? Maybe the business problem I have is a multi-million dollar business problem. And if you solve it, you know, your value is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. I see that happening a lot though, where people, where, where people in businesses and lawyers do, do that whole con idea of negotiating against themselves. So mm -hmm. what kinds of questions are really good to ask when you're in a negotiation, when you're, when you're trying to figure things out, but not showing your cards? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one to answer because it's all situa situationally dependent. But, yeah. you know, I don't know if this answers your question, but I would advise people listening to this podcast is really find out what the hidden interests are, what your counterpart really wants. Also, ask them what's most important to them. Okay, we need to understand what's most important to your counterpart because we don't want you to give that to them too early. Right. So if you're able to ask that well in advance of the negotiation and you know what's most important to your counterparty, that's your leverage. I think that's a great question just to ask in general when you're when you're in any negotiation, like just to ask, well, what's most important to you here? Like that is a great, I love that. As a coach, I love that question. Mm -hmm. Or have someone else who's on your negotiation team ask that question, someone who maybe isn't as controversial as you, the lead negotiator. Right. I think that's a really good, that, that's a really good point. Like thinking about what kinds of questions to ask and having other people ask, ask those questions in the work that you're doing with negotiation. I know that you do work all over the world, pretty much in, in training. Do you think that different 
uh, not just in business, but different ages of people, different genders of people negotiate differently? Have you observed anything like that in, in your training of others? Hmm. There are definitely people that I've trained who are just natural negotiators and it didn't matter what their gender or their nationality or their age. But, you know, I definitely have found that you know, it's really tough to generalize. You know, I had a woman negotiator in one of my classes in, in the Netherlands and she was from Turkey and she was the best negotiator I've ever had in a class and she would destroy anybody. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, and I have found that people from like Israel, from Turkey, from these countries, you know, tend to be better negotiators because they grow up negotiating for everything. Right. But well, I get it. And I, I'm asking that. And I feel like as a Canadian, and I know you're married to a Canadian as well, I can ask the question like, you know, Canadians are normally very sorry and apologetic about, <laughs> about things. And I'm just, and because there's people that are listening to this podcast from literally like 23 different countries, yeah. I've always been curious what happens when a a negotiation happens between you know two different countries and how you approach it because everybody seems to approach things so differently. Yeah, once again, I just because I worked in Canada for a long time, I covered a Nortel before they went bankrupt, and oh, yeah. they were extremely tough negotiators, really exceptional, very well prepared, very bright, very experienced, and well trained. So they were Canadians, but they were excellent negotiators, so Maybe they took a training before they beforehand. <laughs> yeah, and they had a lot of leverage. So, you know, I will say this. You know, this is I'm thinking about my professional career, and I negotiated with people who just simply went too far. Right. In what way? Now, like, in what way do you mean? Perfect example is Motorola. Yeah. I mean, people in that company went way too far, in my opinion, and because of that. Most, a lot of companies with technology, with innovation, with ideas, didn't want to work with them because they wouldn't get any value for it. So there was no value in negotiating. So you have to be careful if you're competitive, that you're not over competitive because you're going to scare people away. Right. I think that's a, all like all really, really good points. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just so interesting to think everything that we do, even though we're talking about either it's widgets or money or people or whatever it is, like everything is about communication and how you communicate and approach a situation. And I, what you said at the beginning of the call is so true, like these skills, these are life skills and we use them all the time and we're never really properly trained on the how to use them. And I think this is really helpful. So thank you for sharing all of your knowledge here. You're welcome. Um, as I often do on my podcast, or always do, is I ask for two tools in two minutes. What tips or tools can you provide our audience that are actionable in the next two minutes? Hmm. All right. So one we already talked about, which is that Thomas Kilman Index. It's understanding your natural style. This is going to go a long way in your professional career to understand that. And then once you understand your style, and you understand what the different styles mean, you're going to be able to start picking out other people around you, your counterparts, your colleagues, and you're going to be able to figure it out. So that's going to be big. So I would recommend that you do that. And, and then when you go in, you know, I got to cut actually more than two. Okay, you can go for three. Yeah, before you go into a negotiation or before you start 
And when I say negotiation, I mean the whole prep time before you're actually negotiating. Start writing down your questions. What is it that you want to know? Write it down so you remember to ask. Because when you're in the moment, you forget. And then I also want you to write down what your best alternative to reaching an agreement is. Mm -hmm. And what is their best alternative? Whoever has the stronger second option is going to have more power in the negotiation. And to keep it simple, we're talking about the person who cares least. Got it. Well, Eric, this is so helpful. I'm like really timely because it turns out to tomorrow I have a very big negotiation and I'm now going to be very prepared and not just show up and hope for the best. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck in your negotiation, Stephanie. Thanks, Eric. Hey, if anybody wants to learn more about your company, I'm going to be putting it in the show notes, but would you share it with us? It's the negotiation experience. That's the website, thenegotiationexperience.com. Well, I urge everybody to check it out because Eric really knows his stuff. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the call today. I'll have a link to Eric's company and to the T Thomas Kilman or the TKI assessment on the show notes. And I want to thank you for your participation today. It's been great talking with you. <laughs> and I'll look forward to talking with you again soon, Eric. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel. Make sure to subscribe and rate us. For our show notes and information on upcoming episodes, visit our website at hergavel.com. And if you'd like more information about coaching, training, or any of my books, please send email to stephanie at hergavel.com. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode of Her Gavel, where we will continue to shadow the glass ceiling for women in law. Mm -hmm.